This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. The Texas Rangers are celebrating their bicentennial. They were started, sure enough, in 1823, and they've been exalted ever since. By some people, but not everybody. There's a big statue of a ranger. The first thing you see when you walk into the Dallas Municipal Airport at Love Field. Big, strong-looking ranger standing there, and underneath him is the slogan that one of the rangers made famous when he said, One riot, one ranger. The story was that, that some town had a riot going on, and they appealed to the rangers for help, and they only sent one man, and he said that, One riot, one ranger. If you read about the Rangers or go to their museum in Waco, you'll find that they are saintly, wonderful men, the strongest and tallest, toughest and best that the frontier ever had to offer. Or you could read a book like Lone Star Justice by Robert M. Utley, and you'll find the first century of the Texas Rangers in that book. And you'll find, again, that they were just plain wonderful. Fortunately, for those who are interested in the truth, that's not the only book on Texas history that you can find. If you read other books on Texas history, and you begin to wonder what they were doing in 1823, you must realize right away that they were pillars of the slaveocracy in Texas their job was to run down any slaves that might have tried to get away. You see, Texas was close to the Mexican border, and slaves in Texas tried to make a run for it. If they could get far enough south, they could get into Mexico, and Mexico was still anti-slave. So the ranger's job was to run down the slaves, and that didn't last very long before they had to turn to other work which was exterminating the Native Americans. That was pretty much what the Rangers did until they pretty much ran out of Native Americans during the Republic of Texas. After the Civil War, they had no more work to do to pursue blacks in Texas. So they took up their next task, which was pretty much to drive out all of the Mexican-Americans. And one book that I would certainly recommend is called Revolution in Texas by Benjamin Heber Johnson. He was a history professor at SMU when I met him. I don't know if he's still there or not. How a Forgotten Rebellion and Its Bloody Suppression Turned Mexicans into Americans. On the front page, it shows Texas Rangers with their ropes around a dead Mexican-American. You see, the valley, what we call the valley here in Texas, was populated by rancheros, the people who owned that land. They were natives. They had been there since before the Mexican War, and they basically ran cattle. Sometime around 1912 or 1913, something like that, Big agriculture decided that they needed that land. They had learned how to do irrigation. 
and the valley became the agricultural mecca that it is today, producing a tremendous amount of food from farms in the valley. But first, they had to clear out the rancheros, and they did. They used the Texas Rangers. And they didn't just intimidate people. They didn't just deliver warrants and papers. They murdered them. They shot them down. They roped them. They lynched them. They threw them in jail. And they scared them so much that the rancheros pretty much left the valley and great big agricultural corporations took over. I wouldn't have known much about the rangers if it hadn't been for Gilbert Mayers. I don't know if there's anybody alive today besides me who remembers Gilbert Mayers. But he and I worked on the same underground newspaper back in Houston during the Vietnam War. Gilbert Mayers wrote his own remembrance of his days of trying to organize the waterfront in Texas. His book is called Working the Waterfront, Ups and Downs of a Rebel Longshoreman by Gilbert Mayers. Here's how it starts. Quote, the man was saying, stand back, you, and a cuss word, S-O-B, I'll cut you in two right across your, cuss word, G-D, navel. The man was wearing cowboy boots, a 10-gallon hat, business suit, necktie, and his two hands he held what appeared in the dim light to be a Tommy gun, well aimed. The man was a Texas Ranger. On through the book, Gilbert continues to run into the Texas Rangers because they were union busters, pure and simple. The Rangers were operational, says Gilbert Mayers, if that's an appropriate word. They prodded all parties concerned to get all materials together that they anticipated housed strike breakers would need. A convoy of three trucks, as I remember it, was escorted into the port. Four rangers in two cars drove up to the picket line, piled out, weapons in hands, and herded the four black and four white pickets into one group off the street. The pickets, thus held at gunpoint by the rangers, watched the provisions for the scabs pass into the port. The convoy itself was led by a city police car under command of a fifth ranger. The rangers who came into Corpus Christi to deal with the strike were always profane when addressing any group of strikers. From the day when the first five arrived in town until the strike ended, there were never less than two, two rangers, never more than five present every day. Whether any outside of the original five came into our territory during that time, I wouldn't know. We found no common ground for any striker to become societal with them. So in other words, he didn't know the rangers very well. He just saw them and, and they were, I think, wise to avoid them. On another page, Gilbert Mayer says, may we digress here and direct a span of attention to the Texas Rangers. My observation of Rangers in action came a few evenings after the things that I had just told you. 
a likes ship docked on the south side. A couple of sailors came ashore for a beer. Tommy Donald and I bumped into them. Tommy talked to them about as follows. When you get back to your ship, explain to the crew that they're working behind a picket line. That's not unionism. Sailors are on strike with longshoremen in this port. We got the best stew pot on the coast. Come out with us. You won't go hungry now. If your crew members don't want to join the strike, then tell them to stay aboard. Don't come ashore. It didn't turn out the way we wanted. About dark, two empty taxi cabs and a sedan carrying our ranger friends drove through the picket line into the port to return in minutes with the ranger's car trailing the cabs now filled with the members of the ship's crew. They drove through the picket line, turned toward downtown, and parked against the curb. The two right-hand doors of the ranger car swung open. A ranger in each doorway displayed a long-barreled weapon. The one in the front seat did the talking. Quote, All of you, come over here where you can hear me, all you brave cuss words, SOB. You're so cuss word, GD brave. Why don't you tough cuss word be Make a move. Come on, make a move, anybody. Just one little move. Any one of you cowardly, be. Then he followed with references to our degenerate, perverted mother-son relationships. Then he apparently tired of it and broke it off. The three cars moved on toward town. And on another page, we find one of the rangers is named Y.A. Ali. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's A.L. E E. He made a made a threat to put them on a cold slab if they continued their strike. From that time until the strike's end, I never went anywhere alone. We never saw a Texas Ranger alone either, for that matter. Not that the Rangers wouldn't kidnap two at once. Some years later, in the lower Rio Grande Valley, in the city of Harlingen, an old printer friend, Elmo Woodard figured in a short-term kidnapping. Elmo was working on one of the Valley newspapers when union printers voted to strike all Valley papers. Elmo and another striker had just finished a shift of picket duty and were walking home when a car carrying three rangers swung into the curb. The two printers were muscled into the car before they realized what had happened. The car then moved out of town into the country and into a pasture out there in the mesquite brush, they were yanked from the car to be told about their ancestry and their present immoral condition in the usual colorful language. Next, two rangers produced a quirt, a piece, from the car's trunk. And they told the captives to remove their shirts. I don't know if you know what a quirt is. It's what you beat horses with. It's a short, stiff whip that jockeys use to beat horses with. And here's another run-in with Y.A. Ali. And Ali said, just sit right where you are, you smart scab hauling SOB, and hear me out. I ought to jerk you out of there and cripple your cuss word. You turn that shiny new automobile of yours around now and get home from here and don't you show your cuss word around here again until work time on Monday. Do you hear me? If I find you within a mile of here today, I'll smash 
this shiny machine up so bad, you'll be glad to take a junkman's price for it. So that's Y.A. Ali of the Texas Rangers. He comes up later on in the 1960s. And this was a very interesting because Pancho Medrano is the hero of this story. Pancho Medrano, like Gilbert Mares, was a friend of mine back when he was alive. Pancho Medrano was working for the United Auto Workers of Texas, and he was their main man for civil rights beginning in 1963. Well, this happened in 1967. Farm workers and laborers protested against working condition and salaries and acts of violence against picketers by the Texas Rangers. While photographing the arrest of picketers, Madrano was arrested and punched. He filed a civil suit on behalf of himself and the United Farm Workers Organizing Committee, the uh, AFL-CIO, and picketers against the Texas Rangers, officers of the state of Texas, and other public officials of Starr County, Texas. The suit alleged that Texas statutes banning mass demonstrations were unconstitutional and that the defendants deprived the plaintiff of their civil rights and protection of the laws and constitution of the United States. Now, this is not in the version I found online, but the truth is Madrano worked for the UAW and the UAW, the Auto Workers Union, was very, very good on civil rights issues and they financed the case. The case became known as Madrano versus Ali because Captain Ali was heading up the Rangers. And then they reversed it and called it Ali versus Madrano. In 1974, it got to the Supreme Court, which ruled in favor of Madrano. This was a heroic thing that my friend Pacho did. A permanent injunction was placed against the defendants, that's the Rangers, restraining them from enforcing the voided statutes and from interfering with the civil rights of plaintiffs and the class they represented. This suit helped protect protesters in Texas and changed the laws regarding picketing, strikes, and protests in Texas. I often say this even though I can't prove it, but I believe that Pancho Madrano, the auto workers union, and the farm workers combined were able from 1967 on to stop the Texas Rangers long career of union busting. That's what they were doing. That's what they did. And when they celebrate their bicentennial, <laughs> you won't hear a word about it. But I'm trying my best to let people know what really happened. I wrote a letter to the editor, which was published in the Dallas Morning News, pointing out that among the many egregious and gory things that the Texas Rangers did, there were also union busters. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.